right? This is, yes, hallelujah, right? This is Resurrection Sunday. Now, if you were here on, on Friday night, we had a good Friday service, and we said that good does not mean good in the sense that there was a good event that happened, right? Good was an old term that was defined as something that is holy and something that is worthy of remembrance. Now, yes, the Good Friday is a good thing for us in the result, right? But the actual event itself, there's nothing good about death, right? There's nothing good about tragedy in, such a, in, in, in that way. But it's good and it's something good to remember. So we focused on three things on Friday. We focused, we focused uh, number one, on the betrayal, the betrayal that Jesus experienced from his closest friends, we experienced the, we talked through and we meditate on the betrayal. And then we focused on, uh, the innocence of Jesus. That he was an, he was innocent before Pilate. He was innocent before the religious leaders. And then the third thing we focused on was on the brutality of his death. The brutality he experienced. He was, it was just terrible. If any of you ever seen the passion of the Christ, you know it was a, a very brutal thing that Jesus went through and that he experienced. And what we said on Friday night was that that when Jesus, it wasn't just the Jews' sin that, that caused him to be crucified. It was the sin of all humanity. And so that we put ourselves into the story. And we said on Friday that in reality, it was all of humanity that was present with Jesus in his crucifixion and in his death. It wasn't a story from history. It's a story that we still tell today through the Lord's Supper where he says, do this. The Lord's Supper, the, my body broken and my blood poured out, do this every time you gather in remembrance of me. And so we put ourselves into that story. So I want to just in, in, um, just so I can pick on you too, because you weren't here on Friday, you were there. Whether you even believe, in my opinion, this is my opinion, I think I'm right, whether you believe in Jesus or not doesn't matter. You were present in his death. You were present in his death and in his crucifixion as, as if you were crying out yourself, crucify him. He died. In fact, that night, if you were actually wore black, the whole up and down, right? It was black that night because it was just in, in, in the moment. It was a difficult time. For us, it should be an overwhelming moment. That was Friday. But y'all, Sunday's come. Sunday is here. The resurrection of Jesus. This is Resurrection Sunday. So this day, this day is the most important day of the year for those who would find themselves in the Christian faith tradition. For without a resurrection, Jesus' life did not fulfill its purpose. Without resurrection, then death would have won. Resurrection is the one thing that separates Jesus from other gods and that separates Christianity from other religions. That our God was resurrected. Jesus was resurrected. It's what separates our religion from every other world religion. In fact, when you watch, you see Paul, if you read through the, the, the letters of Paul, everywhere he goes, you see this in the book of Acts, right? Paul, if you don't know, he's probably one of the, the most important Christian men who ever lived in the sense of spreading the good news of Jesus to the world, right? He went everywhere, not, not literally, but he went lots of places and he preached everywhere he went. And everywhere he went, he would preach Jesus, Right. He would come in and he would preach Jesus and people. They'd be fascinated by the Jesus story. 
and the things that he said, they'd want to hear more. But every single time he would go to the place that he should have never gone if he wanted lots of followers. He went to the resurrection. He said, Jesus, Jesus, I'm telling you about, he died. And then he was resurrected to life and he showed himself to his disciples. And every single person who would listen, they would say the same thing. That you are foolish and your story, it is foolishness. But you know what he did? He continued everywhere he went to tell the story of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Unashamedly. Why? Because he recognized, just in the same generation of Jesus' death, that if you didn't tell the story of the resurrection, then the story was incomplete. (coughs) Forgive me this morning, I've been a little bit sick, so if I cough on you, I apologize. We're here to celebrate the resurrection. It's important to Paul, and I would say this morning that it is important for every single person who would call themselves a follower of Jesus. So if you're considering following Jesus, then I want to let you know you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This morning, what I want to do is I want to do two things. First, I simply want to read the story to you from the perspective of John. He was one of the guys who followed Jesus, right? I want to tell you the story. I'm just going to read the story to you from the book of John. And then I'm going to tell you and help us understand where we fit into that story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says this. If you don't have a Bible, you can just uh, read from the screen behind me. It says this. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and other disciples, they started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had, who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but... Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them. She told them that and that all the other things that Jesus told her. Now, in, in reading this story, in reading this story, obviously it's, it's hard to specifically put ourselves into the shoes of the disciples, the men and the women, right? We, we can't, we weren't there, right? We don't know exactly what they're feeling. We, we can't feel their feelings. We can't understand their emotions. We weren't there, right? We weren't, we weren't, we weren't these firsthand witnesses, right? But, but all of us in the moment, we understand probably the feelings that they're going through in the moment. We talked before at Vintage again and again and again about the fact that the, the disciples had put, they had put, they had invested all of their life, all of their energies, all that they were into Jesus. For the last three years, every part of themselves they had, they had given to, to Jesus, right? Their, their life and their dreams and their, their hopes and all of their futures have been wrapped up in the person of Jesus. In a living Jesus. But a dead Jesus, a dead Jesus meant that their lives were hopeless and that their lives had no worth. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that moment where all of a sudden you've invested all this time and energy, hopes and dreams into some specific future out in front of you and all of a sudden in an instant it feels like it has died. This is, these are the emotions that they're going through. All of us in some form or fashion have probably felt and experienced this in some level. And the disciples, they're experiencing this in, in a very real and tangible way. The last three years of their life was with this high level of anticipation. We said even a couple of weeks ago that, that Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem. And they all ex- get excited because it said, finally, we're doing the thing that we were expecting Jesus to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus dies. And along with his death, in a very real sense, death comes to the disciples in a spiritual way, right? In this, in this like personal way that all their dreams, all, all these things, all of a sudden, there is a death sentence of sorts that has occurred in their own life. You see, Jesus, at the end of his life, there was a stone rolled in front of the tomb, signifying that his life was officially over. And in a sense, there was this stone that was placed into the life of the disciples as if they too have died. Each of you, and I'm not sure those you came in late, I'm not sure, but each of you, when you came to that back door, should have gotten a stone. Now put that stone in your hand, kind of hold it right here in front of you, okay? Take it out of your pocket. I want you to hold that stone. I want you to feel it. Now, now obviously, if you look at that stone, it's a, this is the kind of pebble that you would put in some pathway in, in your yard, right? It's a decorative stone of sorts. But it symbolizes, it symbolizes a much larger stone. See, that stone that you're holding in your hand signifies the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb when Jesus died. Now, we didn't, we didn't read that part, but the end of chapter 19, they came and they, they took this stone. Now, there's a picture that Asai is going to put up on the screen. 
for us. And this, this, this is the, this, this picture he's going to show you. It's a, it's a, it's the, it's the stone that the, very similar to the, that Jesus had on his tomb. Now this stone is four by six feet in diameter. It would be one, it, one inch thick. It would have weighed anywhere from one to two tons and weighed between 2,000 and 4,000 pounds. The idea is very simple. It's a much bigger stone than the one that you're holding in your hand. This is a massive stone. And in that stone, when you would, when you would, you would take it, it was basically rolling. You see it right here. You see how that stone's kind of away from, away from the tomb. Now, what would happen is that there would be a notch that they would put right there in front of the tomb, okay? And so when they would take that big stone, it would roll from whatever direction it's coming from here, from right to left. That stone would, it would roll, and then it would kind of just fall into the notch. And that notch acted, in a sense, as a lock. That when it falls, when a big rock like that falls into a hole, and you've all experienced this, when you put something into a hole, it's hard to get it out of that hole, right? This notch acts as a lock. And the idea is really simple. It's not supposed to be moved, right? It's too hard to move. move. In fact, the scholars would tell you that a person inside of a tomb would be, it would be impossible for them to even get a grip on the stone to be able to, to move it. Several men would not be able to take this two-ton, one-ton rock and move it from its place. See, the stone, the stone is an exclamation point of sorts. When it is rolled into place, everyone goes home. You all, you've all experienced this. You've gone to a funeral, right? You have the graveside service and they put the, they put the casket into the grave and, and it begins to lower. And what do you do? You go home. Because that's the begin, that's, that's the end, right? That's the very last thing that you do. And the stone being rolled in front of the tomb, it's the very last thing. It's the exclamation points of sorts. It's the moment when everyone goes home and they continue their mourning. They continue the mourning of this lost loved one in their life. In this story, the stone was rolled into place and it was a bitter moment for the disciples. Because this is the place where everything officially ended. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their desires, all of their longings. In this moment, the stone rolls into place and it's a death sentence for them. And they go home and they mourn the loss of what should have and could have been. In this place, they know the stone couldn't be moved. Right, We know from Scripture that the, there were Roman guards who were put in charge of this to make sure no one came in the middle of the night and tried to steal the body. Right, All of this stuff going on, the disciples, they go home, and they're overwhelmed. They're undone. The stone was in place, and the stone could not be moved. And in that moment, in their understanding, and hear this, In this moment for them, death had won. Death had won over the life of Jesus. And honestly, this death sentence had come to them, and death had won in their life. But we know the rest of the story, right? We know the rest of the story. We know right here this morning... 
that the unthinkable, the unthinkable happened. Jesus, as they come to the tomb, he is no longer in the tomb, right? The stone has been rolled away and everyone, primarily the disciples, they're sitting there. They're left in the moment. They're, they're scratching their heads, trying to figure out what is going on, right? What is going on the moment they, they come into the moment they can't figure it out. The stone's rolled away. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. What are we doing, right? We know in the moment that the power of God moved, right? God didn't move the stone for Jesus. He just went straight through the wall. God moved the stone so the disciples would come and start scratching their heads saying, something isn't right here. So they could walk into it. They could have left the stone right there and Jesus could have come out and revealed himself to them, right? But instead, God wanted to show off. In the moment, he was said, look what I can do. I can move stones. For those of you who are living in this place of death, right? I remove stones. It's what I do. And so he came in the moment. The power of the Holy Spirit moved in the, in the body of Jesus, raised him up. He went through. He, he folded his stuff, men. Did you see that? Women, did you see that? Jesus, as a man, he folded his clothes and he put them where they're supposed to go. He made two piles. This is a big deal for men. Let's celebrate this, women, right? It's a big deal. And the power of God moving and rolled the stone away. It confounded the wisdom of the wise. And it did, he did something, God did something that no human being could ever do. You see, we believe, those of us who call ourselves Christians, We believe with everything in us that Jesus was literally 100% dead. On Friday, he died. Somewhere between 12 and 3, he died. He was put into a tomb. He was mummified. Saturday, he was dead all day. And then somewhere along the line, on Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, the power of the Holy Spirit began to stir in that tomb. And and Jesus was raised to new life and the stone was rolled back. You see, because the stone, listen, it was not too hard for God to move. Here's the point for this morning. This, my friends, is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. He has been since that moment, right? And the impact, I believe, reaches the world. And it's intended for all of creation and all of humanity. Here's something I want you to recognize. It's a quote I have on the screen. Jesus' resurrection means the possibility of resurrection to all, to, to life for all who have a stone too big to move in their lives to separate them from Jesus. I'll read that again. Jesus' resurrection means the possibility of resurrection to life for all who have a stone too big to move in their lives that separate them from Jesus. You see, for all of us who who would say, yes, Steve, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've given myself to him, I'm following him with everything in my life, I'm being obedient, I'm trying to follow him in all of these ways, right? Jesus has come and he's moved the stone from our lives. He's moved the stone from our death sentence. For those of you who say, yes, I don't know Jesus, I'm not in relationship with him, I'm not following him, then I would say that there is a stone still left in your life. It's, a, it's represented by the stone that you're sitting there holding in your hand. But Jesus 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, is able to remove stones. I want you to read along with me. I'm just going to read this with you from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm taking this from the message, so probably different than the Bible that you have. But I love the, the, phrase, the, the phraseology and the words they use here. I want you just to listen to this as I read it, because it describes all of humanity according to Paul. This is Ephesians chapter 2, excuse me. It says, it wasn't so long ago, it wasn't so long ago, that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief. And then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Paul comes into the moment and says, listen, All of us, right? All of us filled our lungs with polluted unbelief. And in our lives, we expressed, we exhaled disobedience. Because we all did it. See, all of us in our lives, in the the midst of our lives, we all had a stone that was covering our, our lives, the tomb of our lives, right? And it was something that we could not move in our own strength. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, Listen, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who's innocent before God. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God in their own strength. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one, no one who does good, not even one. 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all have disobeyed, and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 5.12. I'm basically paraphrasing this one. It says, because of our sin, we are all dead apart from Jesus in our lives. What I want you to hear me say very clearly this morning is that no one can be good enough to earn salvation or earn relationship with Jesus. No one can do enough right things. Hear me. Everyone listen to me. No one in this room can do enough good things to get to heaven. None of you in this room can do enough good things to get to heaven. You you can't buy your way into relationship with Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning, then you can't earn your way into heaven. Your friends can't get you there. Your wife can't get you there. Your girlfriend can't get you there. No one can get you there. Only Jesus, it says in 1 Peter 1.3, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, just as each of you hold a stone in your hand, each of you had a stone in your life that only Jesus can move. You can't move it. You can't be good enough, right? Instead, no one is righteous. No one has right standing with God. No one. 
No one has right standing with God. No one is innocent before God. Everyone looking at me. Everyone looking at me. No one's innocent. No one's innocent. Apart from Jesus' blood, you're all guilty. And to be honest with you, this is not kosher to say, you're all going to hell apart from Jesus. You need Jesus. You need his life. You need him to remove your stone in front of your tomb. We all fall short of the glory of God. But praise be to God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope to be raised from the dead. Remember, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own. Nothing that you did to make you worthy. What do we need to do? We have to respond to the work that Jesus has already done to remove the stone. John 3.16. If you've never heard this verse, let me introduce it to you. It says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not die. Would not die spiritually and spend eternity in hell, but they would have life in Jesus that have eternal life found only in Him. You can't save yourself from the grave. You can't move your own stone. As you stand inside and put your hand on the stone, you can't move it. It's notched in. It's locked into place and you cannot move it. Only His power can raise you from the dead. 1 Corinthians 6.14 By His power, God raised Jesus from the dead. And he will raise you also if you respond and you believe. And this morning, listen, everyone, look, listen, I want to clarify what belief is. Because, listen, the church loves to get conversion experiences. They love to, to tell you, all you got to do is believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. Let me, under, let me explain something to you about what belief means. Belief is not just a knowledge of Jesus. It's not just a knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard of Jesus and I know Jesus. And it's not just knowledge and it's not just an agreement. Listen, this is hard. It's not just an agreement of who Jesus is. You can't say, well, I've heard of Jesus. I know of him. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's probably the God's, God's son. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a follower of Jesus is the knowledge and the agreement and the trust in Jesus. For the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in God. You have a, a, a knowledge. You have the agreement. And then you come, you say, Jesus, now, I believe and I trust you. Listen, I trust you with my life. I hand everything over to you. And the other side of that is, and then you turn from your old life. Listen, you turn from the life that you were living. And you say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And I commit now to turn away from my life of disobedience. And with sincerity of heart, I commit to follow you and obey you the rest of my life. That's belief. The knowledge, the agreement, and then the trust, and then the commitment to follow him by turning from your old life and walking with him every day of your life acting out love for him through obedience. 
And here's the amazing thing that happens. When you make that commitment and with sincerity of heart give your life to him, then his Holy Spirit comes and it fills you and then you are empowered to live the life that he's called you to live and to live a life separated from sin and to have power over it. That, my friends, is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Let me pray.